how God cuts a covenant, which is uh, technically uh, what the, the Hebrew says with Abram. So I'm in Genesis 12. I'm going to read the first few verses, and then I'm going to jump to uh, the next bit of the story in Genesis 15. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And uh, on they went, uh, on their journey, this journey of faith. And we go to uh, chapter 15. And God has uh, said there, just in in those few words we've just read, I will bless you. This is part of his covenant promises. I will bless you, Abram, and your people. I'll bless you with a land, I'll make a nation. And look at verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Uh, so provision, blessing, and also protection, two factors of the covenant. Uh, and then down to verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. So even more promise. And uh, Abraham is thinking, uh, well, kind of talk is cheap. Where's the substance of this relationship, this covenant? How do I know? Verse 8, but Abraham said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set... And darkness had fallen. A smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the body of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, lots of ites, lots of ites, to the end of of verse 21. Let's, let's, Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the way in which you create relationship. We thank you for the reality, the mystery, the grace, the generosity of covenant. So uh, teach us this evening from your word, from history, from Abram through to Jesus Christ, right to now. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, our minds, our lives 
with the sure and certain knowledge of the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Covenant is about um, relationship. Here's it. I just, uh, someone passed me this on the, uh, uh, the via the internet from uh, Harvard. Massive study that Harvard uh, University has carried out on 79, for 79 years on 724 men over the course of their lifetime uh, to try and find the one biggest secret to success and happiness. What is the secret? to success and happiness, according to a 79-year-old Harvard study. And uh, to their surprise, apparently, it is close relationships. <laughs> Who knew how much money was spent on this? <laughs> it concludes, this is surprising in a culture that recognizes hard work as the ticket to the good life. Hard work and the accumulation of money. I guess you work hard, get all the funds, build a bigger barn, and, uh, and everyone's happy. They sort of broke it down. The... Um, uh, three things. Social connections are good for us. Loneliness really kills. Number two, the quality of our close relationships matter. So it's not quantity, it's quality. And good relationships protect our brains, not just our bodies. They found that on into the 80, in their 80s, if people were able to cultivate and develop and, and hold on to good close relationships, then it uh, had all sorts of positive impacts. And the, the, the converse was true if relationships are fractured. Good relationships, yeah. <laughs> That's essentially what the, the Bible, in one sense you could say the Bible is all about. It's about stepping into and sustaining good relationships. That's what covenant is. Covenant is, is, is any way in which two parties, two entities, could be two individuals, Marriage is a covenant relationship where, where two join to become one. Just, just on the marriage, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a new thing. That's why I, Joe and I always kind of discipline ourselves not to refer to the other as, oh, my other half. It's like I'm a whole person. Joe is a whole person. We were two whole persons when we stepped into the covenant of marriage and became a new thing, a new creation in that sense. But it's not just on the individual basis. The Bible understands um, basically covenant in, in two, broadly, two contexts. One is from a negative disposition and the other is looking towards a positive disposition. The negative is, is when um, there's a, a cessation of enmity, of, of uh, like war, two tribes, two nations. And when they, uh, when they come to a time of peace, it may be because one tribe or nation has overcome or vanquished the other. But rather than, as you often find in our kind of culture today, the, the winning party, the winning side wanting the complete destruction of the other. You, ironically, you find that in a, in a liberal, tolerant society. You find that actually we, we, I want everyone to have my view and all the other views to be exterminated. But no, in, in ancient Near Eastern times, Bible times, when, when the, the victorious army won, they didn't vanquish those they'd beaten. They, they cut a covenant with them. And uh, so the, the, sort of the, the lesser party was not destroyed, but it was amalgamated into a new being. And this is how we will affect peace. You pay your taxes and we will share our land. You can, you can live in peace with us as long as you, you, know, you, you live and cooperate with us. Interesting covenant actually uh, was that that's, that was that was a um, negative the sort of war in pieces and and covenant 
also in Bible times, it comes out in, say, Hosea, in Ezekiel, in others of the prophets, is, is marriage. Uh, and God is often described as coming into, into covenant marriage with his people. Uh, so uh, two parties that love each other, they come together to secure and to root that relationship for the mutual flourishing of both parties, that, that God might be honored and we are blessed. Uh, and often in, in uh, covenant uh, kind of uh, agreements, covenant um, bonds, there would be three things. There'd be the promise of protection or, or provision, again, from the, the, the sort of senior or the more powerful of the two covenant parties. The, the winning side, if you like, in a peace treaty would say, we promise to protect you. We will look out for you. You, you are now part of us. And to that end, they would, they would cut a covenant. The, when it says rather anemically here, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And verse 18 of chapter 15, the Hebrew word is to cut, cut a covenant. And again, tribes, what they would do is they would typically, um, they would just make a cut in the heel of their thumb. Uh, and the leader of each tribe would do that. And in, in signaling that they joined together and were cutting a covenant, they would, they would rub Blood is the kind of life force. It's what is, you know, it's how we recognize we live. And so my life will be joined with your life and vice versa. We will join our lives through the, the mixing of our blood. And that would lead a, leave a scar. There was often a covenant sign. So the scar would be a sign. You come across some people say, hey, who do you belong to? Who are you covenanted with? Well, look, here's my covenant sign. I'm covenanted with them or with them. So there'd be the provision and protection there'd be a covenant sign and a change of identity so instead of this tribe or that tribe it'd be a new name a new understanding all of that's played out actually even today in a covenant service that we often conduct here I was involved in a covenant service last weekend I wasn't here I was taking a wedding two people becoming one there was the promise of provision all that I am I give to you all that I have, I share with you, within the love of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There was a change of identity. Alex and Martha became Mr. and Mrs. West. Uh, I and me became us and we. And there was the, they exchanged a covenant sign. I can't say mine off, but they each exchanged a ring uh, uh, as a sign now. Both uh, Alex is a good-looking lad, and Martha's a very attractive young lady. And uh, so this is a sign. Stay away, everyone else. These guys are covenanted to each other, and here's the sign. So kind of that tradition has, has survived even to this day, to becoming one. It's the way in which relationships are marked, and it's unique. I don't think there's any other understanding of relationship quite like that in our culture today. We're, we're very contractual. We say, as long as you fulfill your side of the bargain, I'll fulfill mine. But as soon as you don't, I won't. And that's the basis on which we conduct much of our lives. I'll, I'll pay rent, you give me a house. But if I don't pay rent, you take the house from me. And covenant doesn't work like that. Covenant is, it's, it's, fully inhabits the language of love and intimacy. Uh, so we see again in the, in the language, covenant language that God uses time and time again in the, in the Old Testament, which by the way is just another word for covenant. 
the old covenant, the former covenant, if you like, the first covenant, the first way in which God arranges a relationship with his people. Uh, that word is mentioned, covenant, over 300 times in the old covenant, Old Testament. And time and time again, God refers to us as his people. You are my people, and I will be your God. The possessive adjective there is, is significant. I dare say that there may be one or two ladies here um, who called Joe. It'd be entirely inappropriate for me to refer to you as my Joe. But my wife is sitting over there by the name of Joe, and it's entirely appropriate that I do refer to her as my Joe because we have that relationship. We have an intimate relationship. The, the possessive speaks of the intimacy time and time and again. God says, I am your God. You are my people. Covenant speaks of of deep intimacy. But covenant also speaks of obligation and of law and of accountability. Covenants, as we'll see in a minute, are, are sort of sealed, ratified with some very serious oaths, kind of life and death status oaths. So they are full of the language of intimacy and love. They're full of the language of law and accountability. It, it's a stunning blend, covenant. There's no other form of relationship that blends law and love. And here's the tension. And this tension is what fuels the whole storyline, the whole narrative of the Bible. It's this tension between law and love that is held within covenant relationship. Let me, let me try and unpack this tension so you, so you can see it. Within covenant, within this bond, this friendship, if I break covenant, if I break the law, if I, and by the law, I don't mean some little rule somewhere, God's sort of some kind of, you know, geek just t with a tick box. No, the law is the expression of God's heart put down in ways that we can understand. It's, it's, it's his desire for us. So if I go against his desire for us, his longing for the way in which we should live, if I constantly go against the grain of God, then if I break the law, then I should expect to receive what the Bible would call curse. There's blessing and there's curse. God promises Abram, I will bless you, I will bless you. But if Abram keeps disobeying God, if keep, Abram keeps breaking faith with God, breaking his law, then, then there are consequences, God says. If I break the law, I should expect a distance from God. That is the, that is the, the sense of curse. It is to be distanced from the intimacy. And the ultimate distance that any human being can experience is death. Complete, utter, eternal separation from God. Ultimate curse. That's the ultimate consequence of breaking the law. And we, we say, yeah, fair enough. You know, you have, a, you have a kind of a covenant bond and one partner is faithful but the other keeps breaking bond. You say, well, fair enough that, that they should just be let go. And, and this is what plays into the tension. 
Because not only is God a God of infinite and pure justice and rightness, but he's also a God of love. And he's faithful to his covenant. So whilst we, we, we ponder with this possibility of a covenant partner being unfaithful, God knows nothing other than to be faithful. He knows nothing other than to hold on. He knows nothing other than to love. And yet, how can God love lawlessness? How can God bless sin? Do you see the tension? Inherent in covenant, which is perfect law and perfect love. How does God, the covenant maker, hold to those two integrities when it comes to holding in covenant people like you and I whose hearts will wander? This apparently irreconcilable tension, if you like, this paradox, this mystery, is what fuels the narrative of Scripture. Can God ignore sin? What would that say about his holy character? But can God ignore his people and forsake them? What would that say about his loving faithfulness? How do we, how do we reconcile an understanding in our own hearts and minds? And the, the history of, the sort of theological history, if you like, will, will, will show that we tend to go to one extreme or the other. We'll, we'll either veer towards love or we'll veer towards law. We'll, 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 those of us who, who tend towards love will say, look, I, I, I know we, we're all doing our best. Let's just go easy on one another. We're all doing, we all want to live a good life. We all want to serve God. We're trying our best. But, you know, we don't always get it right. And God is a God of love. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter, ultimately. Lean towards. It leans into a kind of relativism. You know what? It just, yeah, it could be this, or it could be that, it could be that. It's all kind of, it doesn't really matter. We're all trying our best on the one end. And on the other is a kind of, is the, the law. How can, no, if God is going to be a God of integrity, if we hold this God as to be who he truly is, then we need to keep the law. If we fall short of that, then we make him out to be some kind of liar or inferior or, or impotence. And it tends towards a moralist line. You must, you should, we ought. How does God reconcile this tension? He cuts a covenant. It's uh, foreshadowed in this account that we have of Abram's life. It's a slightly weird little account of animals and, um, and sort of darkness and a blazing torch. So it's a little bit weird. You think, What's, I can't understand this. Lots of it in the Bible I don't really understand. What am I to make of this? This is God foreshadowing what he's going to do ultimately in Jesus Christ. I wonder if you can see it just in the shadow here as it becomes a reality in Jesus. We need to understand a little bit about the, the practice of how um, covenant was affected. It, it's quite a sort of quite an insight into, into how seriously they took relationship. Um, so what they would do, typically, again, these are tribes or peoples, always a covenant is, is cut with a sacrifice of blood. 
So whether it's the, the, on the heel of the hand or very often involving animal sacrifice. That's why God says to Abram here, bring um, a heifer and a goat and a ram. So they would bring a, a, some, an animal, heifer, goat, bull, whatever it might be. And typically they would, they would kind of kill the slaughter of the beast and then, and then cut it in two. Uh, this is in the days when they didn't have power tools. I, I wonder kind of how long that actually took to hack this great the carcass of a great animal in two so that one side of the carcass they'd lay on one side and one on the other. And what it would create in the middle is a great sort of, uh, effectively, a, a corridor of blood. That's what some of the commentators refer to it as. Kind of entrails and guts and gore and blood. It's kind of the steam rising up. It's probably stank. Can you imagine it took quite some time. Their arms, the clothes, the whole body's probably covered and splattered in, in, in all this sort of animal debris. And there it was. You kind of count yourselves lucky. You know, we, we sort of say, oh, do stay behind for a coffee and a biscuit. <laughs> we get off lightly compared to what they had to do to affect relationship. And what it was, again, the lesser of the two parties, the Lord, the sovereign, if you like, the, the senior party, party, he wasn't involved. It was the junior party who would then walk through the corridor of blood, squelching his way through the entrails. And as he did, he spoke out and, in effect, enacted, lived and wore a maledictory oath. He, he, basically, he said, may this happen to me if I break covenant. This is how vital covenant is to effecting and holding and, and, and clinging on to relationship. That if I, if I dare to think, oh, I can, just, I can just play the field, as it were. If I dare to think I can just wander off and break covenant, then may this happen to me. May I be slaughtered. May I take on the curse of death if I break covenant. Look what happens in this account here. As the sun was setting, verse 12, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for thirty, well, he sets out basically what's going to happen for it, as they go into Egypt, into slavery. But, verse 14, I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions, they being the people of Abraham's descendants. Again, promise of blessing, promise of protection, promise of rescue. You will go to your ancestors, you will rest in peace. And then verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Well, literally, the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. A, a smoking brazier, a, 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 a blazing torch. How is God so often metaphorically described in the Bible as, as light? Jesus comes as, I am the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. God here, the writer describes, God is the one who walks through the corridor of blood. Do you notice that Abram doesn't? Usually, in ancient Near Eastern practice, it was the junior party it was the lesser, it was the inferior one who would walk down to effect the covenant, recognizing their inferiority, recognizing their dependence on the Lord or the sovereign, the, the, the victor. And yet here, 
God is the one who walks down the corridor and Abraham doesn't. In other words, as God cuts this covenant, he says this by way of oath. May this happen to me. May I experience death if I break covenant, God says. And may I experience death if you break covenant. Wow. Right there. Right there. Kind of tucked in this little obscure text is grace. That's God's grace. Abram doesn't deserve that. We don't deserve that favor, that grace, that generosity. But God is the one who takes on the potential curse of breaking covenant in order that we might know relationship with God. And there in Genesis 17, Genesis 15 are the seeds of the fulfillments in Jesus Christ. When there's another dreadful day, when at midday it all goes dark and a body is slaughtered and ripped on a cross, there's the shedding of blood, there's a sacrifice, there's the receiving of the ultimate curse of death until the vanquished says, it is finished. It's done. Covenant, new covenant enacted. He takes our death, the curse of our sin, in his body and dies in order that through new covenant we receive his life. Wow. How good is that? And do you see what Jesus does in enacting this new covenant? He fulfills the covenant conditionally. In other words, he, he perfectly fulfills the law of the covenant. The covenant says if someone breaks covenant, that then because of the maledictory oath, someone needs to die. And Jesus says, okay, I'll step in and die. He satisfies the law of the covenant. He loves us conditionally on the conditions of the covenant. But, or and, he loves us unconditionally because he was the innocent party. He's the sovereign Lord and yet he's the one who dies for us. He perfectly satisfies covenant conditions and he perfectly loves us unconditionally. In other words, God in Christ solves the tension, the paradox of law or love it's both. It's both. On the cross, in his body, for each and every one of us, we step into new covenant, freedom, forgiveness, love, and life. One of the issues for the old covenant people of God, as good as it was to be in covenant relationship with God, one of the issues was 
as they affected, as they cut a covenant with the sacrifice of blood, they slaughtered an animal. Uh, they went through all the rituals. This is what temple sacrifice is all enacting. It's, it's, it's renewing and restoring covenant with God. But in the back of their minds is, I've slaughtered a goat or a lamb or a bull. Is that enough? Is God appeased? Is he okay with that? And what they're really saying is, Am I okay before God? Does God really love me? Does God really like me? See, an animal. That's why the new covenant is, is as the writer of the Hebrews is at pains to take out that, that the old covenant is like a shadow. The new covenant is the reality. Why? Because Jesus is our sacrifice. And Jesus was one of us. I, I don't know whether an animal... I, 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 we, we keep an animal at home, a black Labrador dog. It's as dumb as they come. I don't, I mean, she, well, she's lovely, but, you know, I, I can't relate to her. I don't know what's going on in her pretty little head. Apart from when I'm eating food, then I know what's going on in her head. But apart from that... And she doesn't know what's going on in ours. We, we frustrate the hell out of her day after day. We, Joe and I would sort of put a coat on and go out. We're going out somewhere to go and see someone. And she thinks it's walkies. No, we have to sort of say, no, sorry, Connie, it's not you. On your mat. We'll be back later. And you can sort of, mm, sort of resignation as she potters back to her. I wish we could relate to our dog. We can't. We haven't got a relationship with our dog. So trying to mediate covenant through an animal. Ooh, that's thin. But mediating a covenant through another human being, someone who, who came and laughed with us and wept with us, who touched us, who made us laugh, who lived with us, breathed our air, ate our food, who was one of us. And then he goes and becomes the covenant sacrifice for us. That's how I can be sure that God knows that he knows us and that we can know that too. Again, if you'll forgive the sort of self-reference, but <clears throat> how sure am I that Joe loves me? I, I mean, I'm fairly sure. <laughs> let's, let's, make, let's, let's put an edge to the question. Would Joe be prepared to die for me? Would I be prepared to die for Joe? Would I be prepared to die for Joe? I'm honest, if I'm really honest. But here's the thing. In my marriage, through the new covenant, my marriage to Jesus, I'm, as you are, we are part of the bride of Christ. We are in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Would Jesus Christ be prepared to die for me? Oh, wait. <laughs> he already has. How do I know Joe loves me? Well, all sorts of reasons. I can testify to her amazing love for me. But I'm even more sure of Jesus' love for me because he's gone the whole hog. He's gone all the way. He's laid it out there. He has already died for me to affect the covenant that enables me to know that I can be in relationship with God. We cannot spend too much time 
thinking about covenant and what that means for us in relation to God and what that means for us in relation to one another. Um, it's helpful to have Harvard studies on a whole load of men stretching years and years, but Scripture got there before. And we'll tell you that the more time we can spend paying attention to this unique form of relationship, over and above contract, over and above convenience, over and above what I can get out of it for me, sacrificial covenant relationship is what brings ultimate fulfillment, ultimate peace, ultimate joy and satisfaction as we step into the peace and joy and satisfaction that is ours in Jesus Christ. That's why, and I know sometimes we may sort of bang on about it, we're, we're about to re-get our, our pop-up banners to remind us of why, you know, the, the pillars of our understanding as a church is that we get connected and we get involved and we get giving of ourselves to one another, ultimately to God, and we get out there. Why? We get connected and we get involved with one another through triplets, prayer triplets, or you meet up during the day at work, or join a life group, or create a new life group, or get plugged into a team, or do one of these mission things, Fulham Good Neighbor, or Crosslight Debt Advice, or the food bank, every now and then they'll just spend a Saturday, they'll just sacrifice, sacrifice. It, that's what's at the heart of covenant, is, is, is the kind of giving, that's when we give, we receive, not in order to receive, we just find that is the benefit, that's the blessing of covenant. As we follow our master into sacrifice, as we give ourselves, we find we receive. You give an, an hour on a Saturday morning to stand outside Sainsbury's and Sands End, just reminding people that they can contribute to Food Bank so that we can make a difference to someone else in this area. And we're, we're, we're living out, we're practicing, we're rehearsing what it is to live in covenant relationship. We, we practice that with one another. The relationships that we have here as church are unique. Some of you, I, many of you probably, I don't need to tell you that. You compare the quality, the potential of relationships here compared to your office. I was talking to someone the other day about their, what it's like at work. This person said they wake up on a Monday morning with a pit in their stomach and it doesn't really, it just, it's there Monday morning and it lessens and lessens and lessens till Friday night and that's the weekend and then Monday. Because the relationships within the office of this person is just so toxic. We have a completely different, releasing, life-giving way of relating thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ, through covenant. So we practice that, we rehearse that with one another. And probably, and again I've said this before, but I think it's true, you guys, I bet you underestimate the impact of your lives on the lives of the world out there. It, it's It's subtle. But the ways in which we look to relate to one another through covenant, not contract. Essentially giving rather than getting. It, it, that's what Jesus describes as the salt and the light. Salt's just little tiny white flakes, but makes a big difference. Just a few little flakes in a great big stew alters the flavor. You make a difference. So we gather here to connect and get involved, to practice getting out there as covenant carriers, as ways of relating that make a difference to our lives and to the lives of others. You, you are, you're an attractive bunch, but you're even more attractive than you think you are out there. 
it's not anything we've done. Abram didn't come to God with a CV saying, you need to pick me. Pure grace that God chooses Abraham, credits him as righteous, and then walks through the corridor of blood, takes on the oaths that enables us as Abraham's sons and daughters, his heirs, to live in covenant relationship. The secret to a happy and successful life covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ honors him blesses us makes a difference to the world